All right, and we are back, and welcome to another edition of the Locked On College Football Podcast. I am your host, Jordan Reed, alongside Jonah Tools, and we have a very special episode today. It's just not any ordinary episode. We have a brand new big boy from my man Jonah that I cannot wait to dive into just because you're a well-respected mind throughout the industry. And also, you have a bit of a shakeup throughout your board as well. I'm sure we have plenty of risers and you know followers throughout the throughout your board that I can't wait to get into. But first, I have to ask you, how's everything going with you, man? Well, thank you for the generous introduction of me being a well-respected draft analyst. Thank <laughs> you for that. Um, yeah, so I was at Jerry World again for the Cowboys game, and that was fun. Um, a lot more interesting than the Thanksgiving game I went to where they lost, they got destroyed by the Bills. So that was all well. But I mean, yeah, I mean. I've got a lot of mentions on my big board, and uh, most of it, a lot of it is dislike for where their players are, but you get that a lot from fan bases. But I'm just really excited to release a new one out to people and just kind of get my thoughts on this entire class. And that's the thing about big boards, man. A lot of people don't realize how hard they are to put together, and it takes a lot of time. You know, we're very, very uh, curious about our work, and we like to put a lot of time into this thing as well. So, uh, without further ado, I do have to ask you, of course, going back to Jerry's world, man, you just talked about it. You were on a winning streak there for a second, I believe. But is that two out of three now that the Cowboys have won since you've been there? Dude, it is. And listen, man, I started out, I think it was 0-6 before this season. And then now I'm 2-7. and So you, you might as well call me the good luck charm now of this season. So I might have to go to every home game from here on out if the Cowboys want to win a Super Bowl. Yeah, you're going to have to go, man, because they're going to need a little bit of luck, especially to win that division. So uh, we'll see what happens with that. It's coming down uh, to to the to the end with that division with them and the Philadelphia Eagles. A big showdown here coming up between those two teams for the East. It doesn't seem like anybody wants to win that division. But uh, that's a discussion for another day that I'm sure we'll get into, especially if the Eagles do end up winning the division uh, somehow. So. I want to get into your big board, of course. Uh, I think things at the top really stayed the same for the most part. Everybody really has Chase Young and Joe Burrow uh, as the consensus top two guys just because they're the two biggest standouts from the year, in my opinion. And I was really surprised that Chase Young didn't get more uh, second-place votes in the Heisman. I know Joe Burrow ended up winning the Heisman, of course, which is an overwhelming favorite. Everybody knew that was going to happen uh, pretty much in a landslide. But uh chase young of course he's the top player on your board you have joe burrow but number three you have Derek brown and i found that really interesting just because i have Derek brown as number six i believe on my board so uh, number three just talk about that just what are you seeing with Derek brown and why you have him uh, as your top three prospect man you, you talked about earlier building these big boards is so hard just because like there are so many good players how do, how do you separate the top guys and when I study this big board, especially one of the top guys, it's just like, who's, the, who's just a better football player? Who are the best football players in this class? And it, 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 to me, you're lying for saying there are three better football players in this draft than Derek Brown. Derek Brown, to me, should be should have been one of the Heisman finalists in New York. If, if we're talking about the best college football player in the country, Derek Brown's been that good. He is one of those guys I think can have an Indomitian Sue, Gerald McCoy kind of impact in the league. And yet he has a high floor as a starter in the next, at the next level as either a three or a one. I think he's scheme proof. I think he can two gap. He also a one gap and go guy as well with his pass rush abilities and explosiveness. I'm all in on Derek Brown. I, I think this guy should be a top five pick and he has that kind of talent. 
I'm with you. You need to talk about a guy that can have like a Fletcher Cox like type of impact on the defense. I think I he it, I, I, I think I he's it. that type of player. Yeah, and that's the comp that I have made uh, very consistently with him just because I think I think their games are a bit different as far as how they win, but you talk about the power that they have in the middle and just the presence that they have in the middle of the defense as well. I think Derrick Brown can have that type of effect on the defense. And I think there's a possibility that he could go even higher than what Fletcher Cox did. I believe I believe he went 14th or 15th, somewhere in that range. So we could see Derrick Brown definitely end up being a top 10 selection just because I think he's going to he's gonna look incredible at the combine, man. You talk about a guy that's a 6'4 plus, 325 to 330 pounds, is probably going to run maybe even in the 4.8s or 4.9s. That would not surprise me at all, which is just freakishly fast for a guy of that size. And then He's going to jump out of the gym as far as his vertical, and he's going to test really well in all other departments as well. Oh so goodness, yeah. he's he's going to look like an absolute freak at the combo. I can't wait to watch him. But <laughs> uh, some other things that I did want to get into real quick, uh, Tristan Wirfs is your OT1. Uh, we are in agreement there. I did move him ahead of Andrew Thomas uh, in my latest rankings as well. Uh, Wirfs, let's talk about him a little bit. And there's been some rumors that he may go back to school, which really would surprise me considering – He's definitely going to be a bona fide top 10 pick just because I don't think there's any way that he could really demoralize his stock at the combine just because he has that athletic build and that that athleticism that you love to see from offensive tackle. So I think he's going to blow the doors off the combine. A very humble kid as well. So uh, I think he's going to crush the interview process as well. So just Tristan Wirth, just what are some of the things that you see that you saw on him and then what made him make the jump to be your first offensive tackle? No offensive tackle prospect since Tyron Smith coming out of the 2011 NFL draft has had more freakish, natural, and physical gifts like Iowa offensive tackle Tristan Wirfs. It's that simple. This guy has the speed, the strength, the size, the length, everything you look for on paper in a franchise left tackle. And this guy is backing up with consistency. And he's always been, you know, he's playing on the right side with Alaric Jackson on the left side, but he has experience moving back and forth. So, I, I, and same thing with Tyron Smith at USC. Tyron Smith played exclusively mostly right tackle at USC, and then switched over to the left side. He's obviously one of the best left tackles in football. So, I, I really don't see it as a problem. I, I've seen him play left tackle, so as long as he does that, I'm fine with it. Um, but this guy just overwhelms people on tape at the, pl- at the point of attack with his blocking, uh, just super strength. This guy, I think, goes on Bruce Feldman's freak list. Two years in a row. I, don't, I can't remember which number he was. Was he number one? He might have been. Um, but he was. He was the number one guy. Yeah. It, it, so th- this guy's just superhuman. And, and, and he shows it on tape, man. It's not like he's just a freak athlete and just doesn't show it. This guy translates it into production. Man, I, 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 I love everything about this guy. And I know there, there are some questions about him, you know, off the field and whatnot. But to me, I, I just love what he does on the field and what the product he puts on film. And then I think he's a slam dunk top five pick, especially for a team like the Redskins who need to build around Dwayne Haskins and they're about to lose Trent Williams. That seems like a perfect fit for me. I, I Yeah, I, I think this guy's a slam dunk top five pick if he declares. Definitely. And I just love the athleticism and the upside with him. I think that's what really gives him the edge over Thomas right now. I know Jedrick Wills is really making a storm towards being the first offensive tackle in a lot of rankings right now. But just talking about Wirfs and Thomas, I think Thomas is the better player right now. But I think down the road, we could definitely see Wirfs end up being the better player during the long haul just because of the athleticism. And like you said, he's scheme proof. He can play in a man blocking system or he can play in a zone blocking system as well, which I think definitely gives him the edge for me right now. 
And then the age factor as well, him only being 20 years old, there's going to be a 21-year-old rookie throughout the entirety of his his first season as well. So uh, I know age isn't a, a huge factor for a lot of people, but I do kind of factor that into the equation at some positions. And offensive tackle definitely is one of those for me just because I love those offensive linemen that can play 10 to 12 years plus and still be relatively young. And we've seen that that is a position that can play, uh, you know, 14, 15 years in the league just because there's some there's just some of the askings that uh, it, it has on the players' bodies. I don't think it's as brutal as some positions throughout the league, even though offensive line is really tough. We've seen some guys play well into their 30s. So I'm really interested to see exactly what goes on with Wirfs and if he does end up declaring just because there's already been some rumors that him and A.J. Epinesa definitely could go back to school. And both of them already said that they're going to play in the bowl game. So I'm interested to see exactly how they do perform and if they decide directly after that or if they do take their time. They have all the way to January 20th. So they do have a bit of a time, uh, a bit of a time period in order to make their decision. But uh, another, another, another big position that you switched, I believe. You have CeeDee Lamb over Jerry Judy. Did you have Jerry Judy first in your previous rankings before your latest big board? I did. I did. And. And so to me, I think when you stack up the players, I love Judy. You know this. I think this guy's Amari Cooper 2.0. But like we mentioned as well, CeeDee Lamb might be DeAndre Hopkins 2.0. And when you stack up the profiles of Judy and Lamb, I think Lamb's just physical traits just win the day. I think both are, you know, parallel in terms of their route running ability. A lot of people don't understand how good of a route runner C.D. Lamb is. I think they see him at, you know, his after-the-catch highlights, you know, his ability to win jump balls, but they don't see how consistent and effective he is winning off the release with his release package at the line of scrimmage or just winning against off-man coverage with his routes. This guy is just so fluid and smooth. And like you said, just like DeAndre Hopkins-like. And I think when you stack those up, I think just looking at the physical profile of Lamb, I think it's just a little better than Judy in terms of, you know, winning at the catch point, winning those jump balls, and more of a red zone threat than Judy is. Both are, you know, elite players after the catch and before the catch. But at the catch point, I think that's where CeeDee Lamb gets the slight edge for me. I don't think you can go wrong with either guy. And I say that just because I think both of those guys are going to be, I don't want to say superstars, but I think they're going to be bona fide wide receiver ones. On any wide receiver court throughout the league, they're going to be a tremendous addition, especially C.D. Lamb. I believe he has a bit of a more upside, I would say, just because I think he's more of a well-rounded type of receiver. And I think that's just because he's a bit better uh, at the catch point than what Judy is. And Judy gets so wide open. We really haven't been able to see him in contested situations a whole bunch. And he does a lot of his damage from the slot as well as opposed to C.D. Lamb, who really plays both, even though predominantly he plays on the outside, but he can transition inside to the slot. But with Judy, he's played primarily on the inside just because of the players that he is surrounded by. And then the talent that Alabama does have, he hasn't necessarily been able to get a bunch of reps on the outside, and he's been better in the slot. So I'm with you. Uh, C.D. Lamb, I think he's the better overall prospect as far as being more well-rounded. But I think Jerry Judy does give you plenty more after the catch. But CeeDee Lamb has done a really good job of improving his game and adding what he can do after the catch just because he's been in the weight room this year. And the game seems to have slowed down a little bit more for him after taking over that number one wide receiver spot uh, after Hollywood Brown did declare for the draft last. And, of course, he was drafted by the Baltimore Ravens. So CeeDee Lamb in that number one spot 
really has paid dividends for the Oklahoma offense, and I really like what he has shown this year. Did you have anything else to add to that wide receiver one debate? Now, I will say this. I have Henry Ruggs as a close wide receiver three behind Judy and Lamb. They're all kind of grouped in that tier one territory. Let me ask you this. Mm -hmm. Is Henry Ruggs the first receiver drafted next April? That's a really good question, just because – I, I originally would have said no, but seeing Hollywood Brown being the only wide receiver drafted in the first round last year, I lean towards saying yes, just because of what he brings to the table. I think Henry Ruggs brings an identical type of skill set to the table, and I think Ruggs is a much better receiver overall as far as at the catch point and how much more versatile he is. I think I think Hollywood Brown was a bit more feast or famine than what Henry Ruggs is. I think he's I more of a... He, he can catch in the short to intermediate areas where Hollywood Brown didn't really give you that a whole bunch. It was more of a kind of down the field or really nothing with his game. But with Henry Ruggs, he's a guy that can catch it all the way down the field or he can dominate in the short to intermediate areas. And, you know, he can go up and snag the ball out of the air as well. So I think Henry Ruggs is a better prospect overall. But it wouldn't surprise me at all if he is the first receiver taken off of the board just because – uh, he's a, he's a bit of a boomer bust. I will say that about Henry Ruggs, but it doesn't scare me as much just because of you know the success that we have seen with Hollywood Brown. And it, he's going to get a lot of comparisons to John Brown, but I think he's worlds better as a receiver as far as overall and his totality. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if Ruggs is the first wide receiver off the board. And here's the thing about Ruggs is that you know he has that kind of speed that you can't guard. Like, no matter how good of technique you have at the cornerback position and press man coverage, off man coverage, whatever it may be, you can have perfect technique. And Ruggs will still beat you 10 times out of 10 because of how fast he is. And every team's going to be looking for that kind of player. I mean, you, you look at teams always fawning over the Chiefs with Tyree Kill and those guys. Henry Ruggs is basically a bigger version of Tyree Kill. And I'm, I don't mean that as an exaggeration. This guy's going to run, a, you know, faster than 4-3. He's going to be... He may be the only guy this year in the four twos. This guy has good I, – I love his ability to catch point. This guy has great hands, natural hands. And that was one of the big issues with uh, John Ross and Hollywood Brown. So I, I think when you look at him, I think he's a much more complete package, as you mentioned, than some of those speedsters that won the first round in recent years. And if you're looking for that next, like, Tyree Kill kind of game breaker, I could see Henry Ruggs being the first receiver drafted. It just takes the right team. If it's a team like Philadelphia, why not? Why not swing for the fences on this guy? I mean, you need some playmakers. This guy is there. Uh, they're going to have their picking of maybe the top receiver in this draft. So it's going to be really interesting to see where Ruggs stacks up in this receiver class according to uh, different teams in the, in the NFL. I love his fit in Philadelphia, man. And I think pairing him with Carson Wentz, and then we know the injury history with Deshaun Jackson, and you just cannot count on him going into the future just because he hasn't been able to stay healthy here the past few years. So replacing him with a guy that has an identical type of skill set in Henry Ruggs and just allowing him to grow with Carson Wentz, I think that definitely would be wise by the Eagles. And, man, if I'm the Eagles, I would be tempted to double up. And that's not to say take it a receiver in back-to-back rounds, but maybe the first and the third or the first and the fourth or second and third. Some way, I would not be shocked to see them double up on receivers just because they are really hurting at wide receiver right now. And I don't know if you heard, but they almost had to play Josh McCown at receiver this year. 
or this past <laughs> week, I should say, they only went into the game with three active wide receivers. I believe it was Greg Ward, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, and I forget who the third guy was uh, going into the game. So they're really hurting at wide receiver right now. Alshon Jeffrey just hasn't been able to stay healthy. The same goes for Deshaun Jackson as well, and they're loaded at tight end, but there's only so much uh, Goddard and Zach Ertz can do as far as on the perimeter, but they're really hurting at wide receiver, and if I was Howie Roseman, I definitely would be tempted to double up. So that's a really fun discussion. I love Henry Ruggs' fit in Philly, and Oakland is another fit that we both have talked about as well that I think he could be an intriguing spot for him as well. So I'm really excited to see exactly where he does go and how this wide receiver class does stack up. But before we move on and continue to dive deeper into your big board, I want to remind our audience about Breaking Tea. If you are looking for a last-minute fun sports gift for the holidays, go to breaking.com slash locked on and it's breaking tea make sports t-shirts around teams passion moments it's great for all fans you can go to breaking tea.com slash locked on and then feel free to search the site for great shirts and fun sports gifts again that's breaking.com slash locked on breaking tea it makes sports t-shirts around teams passion moments so continuing on with your big board and i want to talk about this guy just because it's kind of a down linebacker class, and I think he has been supremely forgotten about. So we hear about Kenneth Murray. We hear about some other players at the linebacker position as well. Dylan Moses, he's the one player at the linebacker position that really has been forgotten about, and I understand why, just because we didn't see him. We haven't seen him at all since 2018 uh, when he was playing the wheel position for the most part. But he was he was supposed to transition to the middle of Nick Saban's defense this year, but he ultimately tore his ACL prior to week one. So it's still kind of an unknown out there about him as far as at the mic position. But on the weak side, he's shown everything that you love to see in a linebacker as far as his range, his instincts, his hitting power. I think those are probably his three best assets right now. Uh, but of course, it's always a risk to take a guy with a torn ACL in the first round. But We've seen guys in previous years that went in the second round, Jalen Smith, who you're very familiar with, and also Miles Jack. So I want to ask you, do you see Dylan Moses still going in the first round, or do you see him going more in the range that Smith and Jack were selected at the top of the second round? Man, it can vary. It is, we still have to wait and see what happens at the combine. Because, you know, we, we didn't really start hearing the severity of like uh, Jalen Smith or Miles Jack's injuries until – about February-ish, where we said, all right, NFL trainers are trying to see if, if it's a, de- a degenerative issue. That was the case with Miles Jack, where Miles Jack was, okay, It's his knee will be ready for, you know, was it 2016, but it will get worse and worse and worse. Whereas Jalen Smith, it was like, well, he's going to have drop foot, but I mean, it, but there's a chance that he will be able to sustain. He'll, be, he'll miss probably one or two years, but he'll be able to sustain longer than Jack. So, there's going to be, you know, some varying information on here. So I, I'd be a little patient on Moses for projecting anywhere. But when healthy, <laughs> when healthy, this guy might be a top five player in the draft. I mean, this guy is very, very good. And I think there's a legit argument to be made between Moses and Simmons for the top linebacker prospect in this class. They're very similar in some regards, but also very different. Moses, I think, is more instinctive, and I think he's more powerful in terms of being a you know inside the tackles run defender. Whereas I think Mo, whereas I think Simmons, coming from a safety background, is more experienced in zone coverage and those concepts and dropping back. So depending on what you want, you want the chess piece, the guy who can kind of be positionless football, go with Isaiah Simmons. But if you're looking more at the traditional linebacker type, 
kind of like a Levante David kind of player who is more suitable at the will than the mic, but he can really play all three if you ask me. Go with Dylan Moses. So it's gonna be it's gonna vary from team to team. But again, if a team's comfortable with his with his knee, there's no reason for him not to go in the first round. It's just gonna depend on that information of the combine. So for teams like the Raiders, uh, Jacksonville is another team that needs still needs help at linebacker. Green Bay is another team that needs help in the middle. There's so many teams that need help at linebacker, and it would be really hard for me to pass on Dylan Moses, especially if you're comfortable with the medicals, just because I 110% agree with what you said. If he is healthy, he is a top five player in this draft for me just because of what he showed on film last year. And we know how special those Alabama linebackers can be, but I think he definitely is in contention for the best of the bunch that we have seen in years past. And I thought Ruben Foster was a fantastic prospect coming out. Oh, yeah. and things just haven't, unfortunately, worked out for him for various reasons. But Dylan Moses at his peak, I think he's right up there, if not even better than what we saw in Foster uh, coming out a couple years ago. So I'm really excited about Dylan Moses. I think he's going to be healthy enough to run at the Combine. And it wouldn't surprise me if he runs in the low four fives or even if he hits four four. He looks that fast on film. Oh, yeah. And you mentioned everything I like about Moses, dude. This guy is a blur on tape. So explosive. This guy is way more powerful than he gets credit for. Uh, I think he can play the mic at the next level. I'm not as concerned about it as some people are. But th this guy is going to be a baller if he's healthy. And I don't know if you guys have followed my big board throughout the year. My first big board for TDN, I believe, dropped in August. This is before the Moses injury. He was my number three or four overall player on that board. So that's the type of talent we're talking about here. If, if he gets the all-go from trainers, this guy could be a sneaky top-ten pick here. And you mentioned the Raiders. This is a team that's kind of stumbling down the stretch here, and they could, get, they, they could be in more position to get one of these top guys. John Gruden, let me tell you, John Gruden, Really consider Devin White and Devin Bush that fourth overall pick last year. He knows he needs a leader in the middle of that defense. And this is a guy that, you know, he took a lot of guys from Clemson last year. He likes Alabama as well. This is a guy that I think could take Dylan Moses. I, I said last year at the time that, you know, John Gruden wants those tough players. I predicted it last year that he was going to take Abram and Jacobs about two months before the draft happened just because those two guys were the toughest players I watched on tape. Dylan Moses has that same kind of feel. And I'm telling you, Dylan Moses, I think Gruden and Mayock are going to love him. And if the trainers give him a go, watch Oakland, who is going to be Las Vegas next year. Watch them uh, in terms of Moses being a destination. And we talk about, like, all these famous linebackers that John Gruden has had throughout his tenure. Derrick Brooks is probably the most notable of the bunch. And I still think they need that in the middle of their defense. And I just feel like they've kind of neglected that position in years past. But we know Mike Mayock wants to have an identity on that side of the ball just because he likes building from the inside out. And he's already done that, taking Cleveland Farrell last year. I thought he got a good player on the third level. Uh, and Jonathan Abram, he showed some promise before he did uh, go out with the shoulder injury. And we know Josh Jacobs and what he brings to the table. So he's putting pieces in place. Uh, Max Crosby is another name that has really helped out a lot as well. So he really started up front and really working his way back. But I still think they need a lot of help on that second level. And then you plug in a piece like Dylan Moses in the middle. Now you talk about having speed at all three levels of the defense. Uh, I love the Maurice Hurst selection a couple years ago when he did slip all the way to the fifth round. 
uh, for them. Uh, you talk about Moses on the second level and then Jonathan Abram on the back half of that defense as well. Uh, you couple him, uh, Abram, with Trayvon Mullen, who's coming along really nicely here the past few weeks, even though uh, they've lost the past few weeks. But Mullen has really showed some promise, and we all knew that he was going to be a player that was probably better in year two as opposed to year one just because of the traits that he did show early on but you talk about a young promising defense for Oakland and even though they struggled down the back stretch of the year I still think this is a team that was always destined to be better in year three of the Mike Mayock or year two year two of the Mike Mayock tenure I should say as opposed to year one with him and John Gruden coupled together so I'm excited to see what Mayock does do with this next group just because we know he's a great identifier of talent but I think Moses should be a high priority on their board. Uh, do you like the Oakland fit with Dylan Moses overall, though? Oh, yeah. I love the Oakland fit. I think it, uh, Dylan Moses' pick unlocks, I think, the potential of that defense. Like you said, the second level, that, that they've neglected it for a while now. And now with Mayock there, I think Mayock's going to want to find an identity and find a leader of that defense. And Moses can be that. And, and like I said, if the trainers give him the go, there's no reason for him not to be a top 10 pick. He has that kind of talent. Like I said, a Levante David-like skill set. I could see him in, with Oakland having two first-round picks. It would not surprise me if they go with like a guy like CeeDee Lamb with one of their picks and then right back with Moses. And it, that, that just fits their MO. It fits what they do. I think it's a great fit. You should see how hard I smiled when you said CeeDee Lamb and Dylan Moses. Man, that would be a home run of a first first round for the Raiders, especially going to Las Vegas. They're going to want to make a huge splash. Uh, uh, during their initial move to a new city. So I'm excited to see what Mike Mayock does do with these two first-round picks. I believe he had a really good draft last year. The early returns are already good, I should say. But uh, I'm really intrigued to see how he does spend these next two first-round selections. And the Raiders seem to be, I don't want to say turning the corner, but they're much better than what we saw prior to Mike Mayock taking over that GM post. But Before we continue to dive deeper into your big board, we're going to take a quick break. And here's a word from our sponsors. All right, moving on and continuing on, I should say, with your big board. We've already deciphered through the first half of it. Now let's decipher through picks 50 through 100. And there was a surprising name on there for me. And this is a guy we talked about on Twitter. We haven't necessarily talked about him on here a whole bunch. But it's Jeremy Chin, the safety from Southern Illinois. I was really surprised to see him on your board as high as you did have him. But I'm a big fan of him. I've written about him plenty of times for TDN as far as small school prospects. He's definitely in my top five of small school prospects in this draft. But you talk about, you know, how well he did cover. The clip you put up was fantastic of him coming downhill, filling the alley. I think that's one of his better strong points. I think he's more of a strong safety as opposed to a free, but he really plays all over the place for the Salukis there. But the big thing that I love about him is just the ball production. He's had three, at least three interceptions every year dating back to his freshman season. So that just gives you a snapshot of what he can bring to the table. And I think you were spot on with your quotes as far as small school prospects. If if you just turn on the game and you're just randomly watching one on TV without identifying anybody and you're not specifically keying in on anybody, a small school prospect who, who's expected to be an early round selection should jump out to you immediately. And that's what I think Jeremy Chin does do, and he brings that to the table. Just what's your overall thoughts on Chin and what made you put him so high? Dude, I, and with his physical profile and his production profile from Southern Illinois for the last four years, 
This guy's been a four-year starter and with multiple interceptions in every year. Let's talk about the ball production. This guy has it. You're running out of excuses to put him in that upper echelon of safety prospects. And for me, he is that fifth safety at that 68th overall spot. You know, at 6'3", 212, I think Jeremy Chin has a real shot to be the biggest uh, weigh-in winner uh, when yeah. he goes to Mobile at the senior bowl. This guy is built. This guy's a rocked-up frame. Man, and this guy plays like it. He has that muscular physique like a linebacker, and he hits like one, man. This guy has elite stopping power. You talk about filling the alley like a clip I posted on Twitter. This guy does that consistently on tape. And then when you combine that with his range and ball skills, like I said, 6'3", 212 pounds, this guy's a force, man. This guy is a good player. And I don't know if you watched the South Dakota game this year where he had two interceptions, but this guy has the ability to play deep middle and kind of roll over the top of the rangy free safety. Now, I, I think his skill set next level is more suited for strong seats, like you said, in the box. So I think he has – is he comes from a cornerback background. So I, he has that man coverage uh, uh, skill set, as you can see on tape, and from his background. I think he can play man coverage in the box on those tight ends and move – I think that would be a big indicator of what we will see in Mobile in those one-on-ones with guys like Jared Pinkney, Bryson Hopkins, and so on and so on. But Jeremy Chin, man, this guy is just so fun to watch because he's so aggressive, motor never stops. It's a relentless pursuit, pursuer of the football. Man, I, I'm, a, I'm just a big fan. And, you know, Nasir Adley got a ton of hype following the senior bowl last year, ended up being the Chargers' second-round pick. Very good player. And I think Chun's overall playmaking ability as both a run defender and rangy ball hawk is why he'll be that next top FCS prospect and top FCS safety. Man, there's some small school guys I'm really excited about. And Kyle Duggar, of course, we both know how I feel about him and how excited I'm ex- I'm excited to see him in Mobile. But Jeremy Chin definitely is another one that I'm excited to see as well. And the thing about him is that – so here's my theory about him. I don't think he's really going to necessarily shine in the one-on-one portion of practice. But once we get to 11-on-11 and we start seeing some contact, I think that's really where he's going to shine the most. And I think the game, I think he's going to have a huge game as well just because he doesn't have a skill set that really caters to shining in drills or anything like that. He's not going to be the best guy as far as flipping his hips and staying sticky in man coverage and things of that nature. But you're going to see his football IQ really ooze a lot when we get to the practice. And I always make this comparison now. They're totally different in playing styles. But as far as just seeing their football IQ, this is where I really became known with Darnell Savage last year at the Senior Bowl just because – The first day at practice, he was out there making checks, getting everybody in the right position. And that's something that you see on Chin's film a lot. They have a bunch of confidence in him. And they allowed him some free range at the line of scrimmage when he saw some funky looks or things of that nature based on offensive formations. He completely changed coverages. And that just shows you how much confidence and respect that they have for him. So just his football IQ, that's a big thing that I took down in my notes about him is that he has a supremely high football IQ. And it shows in coverage and then his, in his run fits as well. So I'm excited to teach uh, – a tongue twister. I'm excited to see Chin. <laughs> that was a bit of a tongue twister there. But just Jeremy Chin, uh, did you have anything else to add to him? Man, see, here's why I disagree with you, man. I, I really believe he's going to just turn heads in the senior bowl, whether it's the one-on-ones or whatever. I, I just think this guy – the first first of all, he's going to set the tone, like I said, on Monday, that weigh-in day or whatever it is. Just just stepping on the scale. Yeah. Just, this guy's going to set the tone, let me tell you. With his length, his rocked-up frame, scouts are going to know who he is before he puts on the pads. And then when he puts on the pads, man, his length shows up a ton in man coverage, man. 
There yep. was a play against Youngstown State this year where he closed from the middle of the field mm-hmm. on a drag route and just there's down no here. way a player could, should have broken up that pass. But with his length and closing speed, man, I think this guy's going to kill it in the one-on-ones. And it's because, you know, I think I can see a lot of safeties in this class get boxed out by a lot of these bigger tight ends. Because a lot of these tight ends are really good at the catch point and just not experienced blockers. I think you're going to see a lot of wins from the tight end class in this one-on-one period. Look at guys like Jared Pinkney, uh, Harrison Bryant, you know, Bryson Hopkins. All guys who are great receivers, but not as so in terms of blocking. So you can see a lot of wins from the tight end period because they're just bigger and stronger kind of guys. But for a guy like Jeremy Chin, this guy's almost just as tall as these guys, man. This guy right. has the same length. I think this guy is going to be able to hold his own in there. And I, I'm a big fan of him in terms of his man coverage skill set. I think he's going to be able to hold his own there. And I think he has the range to play zone, deep zone as well. I, I think from the very beginning, from Monday all the way to Saturday to the game, this guy's going to set the tone and he's going to show why he belongs here. And then obviously when he goes to the combine, I think he's going to jump out of the gym. So this is going to be a guy that is just going to continue to rise and rise of draft boards as we get to the pre-draft cycle. It's going to be interesting to see exactly which guys separate themselves. And I think Chen definitely is one that could do that. And there's plenty of other guys that we'll get into, uh, you know, in future episodes as well. As we get closer to the Senior Bowl, it's really hard to believe that we're only a month away uh, now from – we're just outside a month away from the Senior Bowl. So – we're going to have a lot of coverage on that here in the coming weeks and the coming days as well. But some of our, you know, breakout candidates, guys, who we think definitely going to have a breakout week down in Mobile. So I'm excited to get down there uh, officially. We'll be together, you know, checking out some guys and taking notes down and things of that nature. So really excited about that. But, you know, just get into the back half of your rankings. Of course, I would be remiss if I did not ask you about Jalen Hurts being 119th. So, I have to ask you, what do you like about Jalen Hurts, and then what do you not like about Jalen Hurts? I think what, it's obvious what everyone likes about Jalen Hurts. is the, you know, the, mo- the mobility, the escapability, just the playmaking aspect of the pocket. Um, this is the ability to just avoid sacks. That's always just valuable. I mean, of course. I mean, but his pocket presence, he's just poised, uh, leadership intangibles, all of that. I mean, just it, it's just, I think, off the charts. I think it's, you know, if not his leadership and his intangibles, other than maybe Joe Burrow, I think it's like unparalleled in this draft class. But when you look at just his inconsistency, ball placement, you saw it more and more and more as the season went along. And I think, you know, early on in the season, people were getting a little hyped because he was playing against lesser competition. He was going against easier defenses. He was able to pick, pick defenses apart. But when you start playing the tougher defense of the Big 12, like the Baylors, the TCUs, the Kansas States, I think you start seeing him get a little more exposed. I think his, uh, I really think his decision making is really inconsistent. Ball security is poor. Uh, there's just a lot of question marks with him as a passer, and I, I think he can be. I think with how today's NFL is more open to the zone read kind of read option quarterbacks, I think Jalen Hurts can kind of benefit from that. But I think the round one hype has kind of died down a little bit as the season went along just because of how I think you saw how inconsistent of a ball placement guy he was at all three levels of the field, where he was inside the pocket, outside the pocket. I think teams are going to have some real issues with him with his accuracy. And if you're not accurate, we've seen those kind of quarterbacks drop and drop and drop. Um, So it's just one of those things where I think some teams are going to bet on Jalen Hurts, but I don't think it's going to be as early as we initially thought 
And to me, I'd rather have a guy like Anthony Gordon, who I know is going to be an accurate quarterback. I think his accuracy is going to translate much more. He may not have the physical gifts of Jalen Hurts, whether it's arm strength or just overall mobility. But Anthony Gordon, I could, I trust his ball placement all three levels of the field, and that translates next level to Jalen Hurts. And as we know, accuracy is the one thing that translates the most from the college level to the NFL level. Yeah, and I think the opinions are going to be all over the place about him just because there's going to be some teams that have him as a day three guy. There's going to be some teams that maybe have him in the first round or even a day two guy. There's going to be opinions all over about him right now. I actually have him as a third round guy, in my opinion, just because there's just so many deficiencies with him. But I love the poise. I love the leadership and I love everything about him. But I just wouldn't be comfortable taking him in the first two rounds right now. And I know Dak Prescott has been a a common comparison for him, but I just don't see where those are valid. I just think I think Dak is way more advanced as a passer and he was way more advanced as a passer coming out. So I don't really see those comparisons as much and I don't really know where they came from. Uh, but we'll see if he does, if he's able to show something uh, down at the senior ball. I'm really hoping he does accept his invitation there just because I think he can really help himself uh, if he does come down there in Mobile. And this quarterback class definitely could be stacked down at the senior ball. We talk about Herbert. We'll see if Burrow uh, does end up accepting or even if Herbert does end up accepting as well, but Hurts as well. Uh, Anthony Gordon is – I believe he's the only quarterback that has been named so far, but that's really a good start. And I still have to do some work on Gordon. I've only watched uh, two games so far of him, uh, so I don't really have a firm opinion on him. But there's already been a lot of comparisons to Gardner Minshew and that, you know, they're, they're you know, they don't have the most blessed arms, but they are supremely accurate and they know where to go with the ball and they have that moxie about them as well to where they're just gamers. So uh, we can't touch a bit about Gordon just because I know you had him ranked ahead of Hurts. So just talk about a little bit what you've seen out of Gordon real briefly. Yeah, and this guy, is like I said earlier, this guy has consistently shown accuracy at all three levels of the field. And I know that the air raid system helps him a lot. Mike Leach's offense, of course. And it helps a lot and it inflates those statistics. I know, like, throwing for 700 yards in a game may pop off to other people on other occasions. But this is a guy that, you know, it's just, it's just been consistent throughout the year. And he's not afraid to make tight window throws. And, you know, and with air raid quarterbacks, a lot of the big things are, like, well, he, these throws are wide open for him. He's not throwing in anticipation. Uh, man, on tape, he, he's making some tight window throws with anticipation. I think we're going to see a lot of, uh, heads turned and a lot of narratives changed about him at the mobile when he takes snaps in their center. I think this guy is going to be able to throw with anticipation, throw in all three levels of the field. He's going to turn heads at mobile with his accuracy. So the guys like uh, Justin Herbert, Jordan Love, he has a stronger arms, more blessed natural gifts. But I think Gordon's going to be the most accurate quarterback there. I think that's going to stand out the most in front of this quarterback group. And I'm not saying he's going to jump into like the top 50 or nothing. I think there are still a lot of questions with his processing his ability to, you know, just read defense coming from that offense. But don't count this guy out as a day-two guy just because I think this guy has more translatable accuracy and traits to the quarterback position more so than a Jalen Hurts. And even you can make an argument over a guy like Jake Fromm as well. I think this guy is even more consistently accurate than Jake Fromm. I think Fromm still has a little bit of question marks of ball placement. So if you had, if you had Gordon over Fromm, I wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree with you there either. But to finish my conversation on this whole – second tier of quarterbacks watch the Oakland Raiders of Jalen Hurts and I say this because John Gruden is likes mobile quarterbacks this guy West Coast system he drafted your guy Josh Johnson back in 2008 
This guy had Jeff Garcia. This guy, this guy loves the mobile quarterbacks. I'm telling you, Jalen Hurts leader. They want to find identity. If they part with Derek Carr, I'm not, they might not have part with Derek Carr. They might just draft Jalen Hurts in the second or third round. But Jalen Hurts is the John Gruden kind of guy. John Gruden loved Dak Prescott coming out of college. He loved Tim Tebow. This is a guy that is going to draft <laughs> leaders. He's going to draft mobile guys. And it may not be in the first round, but when Jalen Hurts is on the board and the Raiders are on the clock in the second or third round, they may still have Derek Carr. But Jalen Hurts will be their draft pick. You can play this podcast back. Jalen Hurts will be an Oakland Raider next by this time in April. That wouldn't be surprising at all. And, you know, Mike Mayock, he loves winners. And we saw that last year with how many Clemson players he did draft. You know, Cleveland Farrell, Hunter, Farrell, uh, Hunter uh, Renfro, and a host Trayvon Mullen is another one that he drafted as well. So he loves winners. He loves guys that have been in the program and been a part of national championships as well. Josh Jacobs is another great example of a winner as well. So it wouldn't surprise me. And that really makes me think that he could select Hurts, but we don't know where he could select Hurts. Now, if that's in the first round or the second round, we'll see, or even the third round, we'll see what does happen with Jalen Hurts. So it's going to be really interesting, man. I can't wait. I'm glad we have this podcast together just because there are going to be some instant reactions, especially during draft day to senior bowl. We're going to have a lot of instant reactions and things of that nature as well. So really excited about that. But that is our show for today. And, of course, we went through Jonah's big board in its entirety. You can check it out at thedraftnetwork.com. He also has it posted on his Twitter page at Jonah Tolls. That's T-U-L-S NFL on his Twitter page. So be sure to check that out decipher through it but don't be too critical of jonah just because he worked very hard on that (laughs) (laughs) so just treat it as the best big board ever and it's gonna win him a super bowl one day when he becomes an executive uh for the dallas cowboys and he he overtakes will mcclay Uh, he takes his job for the dallas cowboys you heard it here first i'm coming for your job (laughs) <laughs> no, well, we we supremely respect you, and if you are listening to the pod, you're doing a heck of a job with the Cowboys. Absolutely. So, um, you know that is our show for today. Thank you, guys, of course, for listening to the Locked On College Football Podcast. We will be back tomorrow. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a five star review. We will be back tomorrow once again. Thank you, guys, for listening.